So we are in the book of Revelation. Uh, so you guys can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Uh, we are nearing the end, where we're getting to the last chapter. And, and I just kind of want to focus us a little bit upon Revelation itself. I know there are some new people here. Uh, I also know that, they're, uh, that, that not everyone's been with us through this whole series. I just want to make sure that we, as we get to the end, we kind of just know what this book is about, right? So the, the focus of Revelation, if you guys don't know the book, it's the last book of the Bible. Uh, it's the focus of Revelation is about the glory of Jesus Christ, the return of the King, which is the title of the series, Return of the King. Right? That's the point of Revelation. It's to talk about the return of Christ and the glorious Christ, our Savior, coming back to claim what is His. And throughout Revelation, Revelation is... I mean, I don't know how you guys felt through the whole series. Like, has it been... I don't know how hard has it been for you guys to kind of understand it. Uh, there's like... There's, there's a lot to kind of go through, right? You're, you're, you're reading these different symbols. You're seeing like all these things happening. You have, to, you have these trumpets, these seals, these plagues. And you got this beast and dragons. Like, what's going on in, throughout this book? Well, I, I think Revelation... It's simple if you just simply read it literally for what it is. Meaning you read it chronologically as it goes along. And that's how I interpret Revelation. That's how I've been preaching it and presenting it to you guys. And so what we see in Revelation starting with chapter, starting with chapter 6 is we see in the future what's going to happen is a seven-year tribulation. Starting with chapter 6. A seven-year tribulation where the church, the saints, will be persecuted. And there will be just disaster across the earth evil will rise the devil satan the uh in the form of the satan in the form of uh, the, the dragon he would rule over this world right and that's a tribulation period and that's from chapter 6 to chapter 19 and then at the end of chapter 19 we have the second coming of christ right actually i have a site for this forgot about this all right so this is the sorry so i'm giving you guys the pre-millennial view the future literal chronological interpretation so we have a seven-year tribulation verse chapter 6 to uh 18 19-ish somewhere around there and then the second coming of jesus christ revelation 19 come that's this is this is jesus christ who's coming back on a white horse right this is uh, remember if you guys ever watched lord of the rings it's gandalf coming down right the hill with the, with the sun behind him, he's shining in his glory and might. This is Jesus Christ. Instead of a staff, a sword is coming out of his mouth, and he is judging the world, right? He's judging the world. Second coming of Christ. And then when Christ does all this, he throws Satan into prison. And he establishes a millennial kingdom here on this earth. That's Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 to 10. So we call it the millennium kingdom because... It is a thousand-year reign. A what literal, I believe, again, a literal 1,000-year reign in the future where the church will be resurrected, right? Resurrected from the dead and will be reigning with Christ. We'll be reigning with Him here on earth. And there will be peace on earth for a thousand years. Then Satan gets released from prison. He deceives nations, casts, gathers up an army, seeks to attack Jesus, but Jesus, again, defeats Satan. And this becomes then the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15. And this is the final judgment. At this point, all Satan and his followers, all his followers are thrown into the lake of fire, which is 
a symbol for eternal death, a symbol for eternal torment, and they will be there forever being tormented, suffering for their sins. And then in chapter 21, which we covered last time, and we're going to, cover, we're going to see some more details today, is the eternal kingdom. This is the new heaven and earth. God was not only just, not only just redeeming this current earth, he's going to destroy it and recreate everything. Uh, imagine, imagine a house that's like being torn apart by termites, right? If you fumigate a house, sure, that gets rid of the termites, but the wood is still all damaged and everything. You have to replace all that. You have to fix all that. And that's kind of what God is doing. He's not just getting rid of sin and deserve, but he's going to recreate everything new. And that's awesome. So God recreates the earth. And you have a new heaven, new earth. And we see, we saw last week in verses 1 through 8, 1 through 8, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8, we see here that we see the purpose behind God's new creation. And the purpose is that so that new creation, God recreated everything, brought us in, and our new resurrected bodies fit for this new creation. He does all this so that God can dwell with us. Right? God will be living with us, walking amongst us. It's it's amazing. This, this is God. We always know God is this big, like invisible being, spiritual being. But this God will be living here on earth with us. Well, not this earth, but the new earth with us. That's, that's amazing. That's something that we can, can't even fathom. Tonight, we're going to cover the rest of chapter 21, and we'll hit a little bit of chapter 22. And we're going to look, we're going to examine the details of this new creation. Specifically the details within the capital city, New Jerusalem. Which is the title of this sermon, the New Jerusalem. And so we're going to look upon this. We're covering Revelation chapter 21 verse 9 all the way to Revelation chapter 22 verse 5. And so because it's a big passage, I'm, going to, I'm not going to read the whole thing right now. I'm going to read it bit by bit and I'm going to go ahead and explain it to you guys. But let's first read verse 9 to 11. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, starting with verse 9. We're going to see here kind of the introduction to this passage. Again, this is like a, a recapitulation of verses 1 through 8. It's giving the details. God actually did this, God, God did this back in Genesis. Chapter 1 is kind of the overview of creation. And in chapter 2 of Genesis, it's like the details of creation. It's kind of a similar thing going on here. Right? So we now we're getting to the details. Uh, Revelation 21 verse 9 says this Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the, full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying Come, I will show you the bride the wife of the lamb and he carried me away in the spirit to a high great to the great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. <clears throat> so we see here one of the seven angels that had these bowls, and these bowls they poured out the plagues. Um, that detail does you know doesn't mean really, I don't know why he's there, but I actually know which angel this is. He takes John up, the apostle John, uh, again spiritually, right? Takes him up in the spirit, and to and they he and John now gets this aerial view. He gets this aerial view of this new holy city, 
right? A panoramic view. Imagine a, a drone, right? Going, flying up high and just taking a video clip of the surrounding city. This is kind of the view that John had of the New Jerusalem. And what he saw was this amazing city that seems to sparkle. Its beauty, its radiance was undeniable. It was a truly magnificent city. And it says here that the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, it says it has the glory of God. The glory of God. And that's a central thing that we see through this passage. That, the, that God's glory is reflected throughout this city. I want to point to you guys four ways. Four ways that God's glory is reflected in this city. The first way is this. God's glory is reflected in his salvation. Verses 12 to 14. Here it says, It, I'm talking about the city, It had great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the name of the twelve tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the names, were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So we, we get here in these three verses uh, a description. Right, we got high walls, like these tall walls with gates all around it. And it's built upon these large foundational stones. Right? This, this is a magnificent city. And again, we're reading this and we're just trying to imagine it. We're trying to think about, okay, what is this? What exactly is John seeing? Again, the easiest way to interpret this is not to think about the city as being symbolic in a sense that like John is not, we're not really going to be in the city in the future. In fact, it's these ways to read it what it is, that this is a city, this is what John sees, and this is where we're going to live. And, and just again, think about the language here. It's a city. Again, the this is, it's not like we're going back to the Stone Ages here, right? We imagine sometimes we think of heaven, we're just going to be either floating in the air, or we think we're going to go back to the Garden of Eden, we're going to all be farmers again, hunters, gatherers. It's like we're going backwards in time. Well, we're not going back to the Stone Ages, all right? Nor are we going back to some, like, medieval fantasy kingdom, right? We, we tend to think about that when we think of kingdoms, right? We, we imagine something like in fantasy, something we see in, you know, the... We see in like Disney cartoons or whatnot, like, um, and this is not what we're talking about. Now, to be honest, we actually don't really know what this city truly looks like. I mean, the city could look like New York for all we know, right? It's gonna be skyscrapers everywhere. I don't know. I mean, it says it shines, right? It sparkles. Perhaps it was all these flashing lights. That's what that's what John was seeing. But what we what we do know, what we do know, what we do see here is that. As human beings, we're meant to live in such a glorious, developed environment. We're meant to reign. Right? We're not going to go back and live in caves. We're not just going to live off nature and the land, though some people would love to, and that's okay. We're, in fact, we're, when God placed us here on earth, He told us, He gave us these earth, and He called us to actually use the natural resources, to, to gather up all the materials, to build technology out of them, and to reign. With splendor and majesty. And that's what we see here. We see that this is an amazing city that we get to live in. But the main feature of these three verses, verse 12 to 14, is not the walls or the gates, 
But the main feature here is the names that are written. Names are inscribed on the gates and names are inscribed on the foundations. We have the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and the names of the 12 apostles. So tribes of Israel, Old Testament, apostles, New Testament. It's a reminder to us that New Jerusalem, the demographic of New Jerusalem, the people who's going to live in there, right? We do a demographic study of this city. It's going to consist both Israel and the church, both Old Testament saints and New Testament. It's going to be Jews and Gentiles alike. It's going to be all nations united as one. The people of God in New Jerusalem consists of people of all nations. That's a reminder to us that we belong here. I mean, that, that's, that's amazing. This is our home. The point of these names being inscribed on the city walls and foundations is to serve as a reminder to us. A reminder of God's salvation. Right? It's to remind us that God's work of salvation in this current world. Right? Again, this is a new earth. right? New creation. Different from this creation. And yet, God here writes down the names of Israel and the apostles of this current timeline. God wants us to remember. He wants us to remember the history of this current world. That God worked tirelessly through the ages of this history to save you. So that we can enter into New Jerusalem with Him. Guys, our faith, Christianity, is not just some ideology that you just simply follow. Like we're not just, it's not just this worldview opinion that we take on how this word works. No, Christianity is more than that. It's a pattern of history. A pattern of history where we study it, we see that throughout history, this pattern shows us God's love for His people and His power to save. This is why for eternity we will always be seen and worshiping God for His salvation. He is indeed the Lord of our salvation. In, in this new creation, worship will, is, will not be an option. Worship will be exactly what we are created to do. Uh, when I, before I led music in, in, during worship time here, I read from Psalm 98, and the first verse of Psalm 98 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Why? For He has done marvelous things. Even in Psalm 98, which is given to us here in this time, tells us to sing a new song. I mean, every day we sing anew to God because every day we get to experience God's grace fresh, new again. We get to sing a new song here now in this creation. How much more then will we be seeing a new song in the new creation? We get to see God face to face. Again, back to Psalm 98, the rest of verse 1. It tells us that God's, His right hand, His holy arm, have worked salvation for Him. We sing because God saves. And so we see here that God's glory is reflected in His salvation here in New Jerusalem. The second way God's glory is reflected in New Jerusalem is in His majesty. In His majesty, verse 15 to 21. Here in verse 15, this is what it says. It says, the one, the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. 
The city lies four square, its length the same as width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits of human measure, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a, a gate. I don't know how to pronounce on these stones, so just bear with me. The fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth car carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, chrysoprase, chrysoprase, I don't know. The eleventh jacinth, the twelfth uh, amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. In this passage right here, we see the details of the city. The, the, and it gets really specific here, right? And the angel here takes out this measuring rod, which is, we've seen this actually before in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 11, when the, the temple, there's this, uh, there's, in the, during the tribulation, there's this temple, and, and the temple was also being measured by this measuring rod. And so here, in the same manner, this measuring rod is measuring the city. And the city is a big city. It's a huge city. Uh, it says here that it's 12,000 stadia, which if you have a footnote, well, maybe your translation actually says the miles. It's about 1,380 miles. That's, that's, a, that's, that's, that's long. That's huge. It says that it's the same... The same uh, height, same length, same width, same height, the length, width, and height, they're all equal. So to kind of give you context of what that looks like, 1,380 miles is about from the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to Canada. Or from like Colorado, the state of Colorado, all the way to the east coast, the Atlantic Ocean. That's about how large this city is. And then it also says that high as well. So you imagine just how tall it is. This is... A humongous city and you seen here we're talking about a really massive kingdom the walls are 144 cubits wide thick that's about 72 yards 72 yards that's three-fourths of the size of a football field that's how thick these walls are again this is a huge city and it says here that the walls and foundations are covered with these precious stones. The list here gets, goes on and on. And the gates are made of a single pearl that's sleek and pure. The, the streets are pure gold. Really what we're seeing here is that the city shines. It radiates. It radiates light in every direction. As if a, a light hitting a diamond is just fragments everywhere. This city looks like that. I, I think that's exactly what we'll see in new creation. That this city will indeed look like this. It will shine forth splendor and majesty. Specifically God's majesty. This is a beautiful picture reflecting the glory of God. Because God is the definition of beauty. He is a definition of majesty. God is perfect in that way. When we see God, we will be so filled with awe. Because He will be the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful person, most beautiful spirits 
father, savior, whatever you want to call him, he will be beautiful before our eyes. Now to kind of just explain, now I you know I believe these are literal things that John's seeing, but it doesn't mean that they're not that doesn't mean that they didn't they're there's coming out of nowhere. It doesn't mean that there's no meaning necessarily behind them. So there's actually precedence here that we should think about, right? So measuring, right? We measuring in scripture actually means something. And, and what measuring when every time measuring is being done in scripture, it's done uh, it was done back in Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, there's this giant temple that Ezekiel saw and he measured it. We saw it in early in Revelation. Measuring marks what belongs to God. It's what we do, right? We count our money, right? We want, we want to know the amount that we have, right? We count our stuff. Or a government, they'll do a census on their own people, right? To, to know the population. They want to know who belongs in their nation, who are citizens of their nation. In the same way, measuring, God is marking what is His. He knows exactly how big His city needs to be and how many rooms it must have and how many people to fill up the city. That He knows exactly how big He needs the city to be. And He knows exactly how many people He's going to save. And that's the difference between humans, between man and God. You see, we can count our stuff. But we can easily, so easily lose it. Or we can miscount it. But with God, God in His profession, He when He counts His stuff, He knows what He owns, and He will never lose what He owns, what He has. All right, but God is the mo- has the most secure, sticky hands you you'll ever imagine. Nothing, no one can ever grab anything from Him. No one can ever take anything from Him. Meaning, you, if you're saved. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, as Lord and Savior, you are indeed chosen by God, elect. And He says that He will never let you go. Right? Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own knows me. Jesus knows. He knew every person who was going to save. On that cross, when He was hanging there, He thought of each name. He thought of your name. If you believe in Jesus, Lord and Savior, be sure to know that Jesus knew you first. He knew you first. He knew you before you knew Him. And He knew your name. And He died for you on that cross. This is personal. He died for you on the cross so that you can enter into New Jerusalem with Him. That's what here in this, this, this picture of measuring is reminding us of. That God knows exactly who He's going to save. The precious stones here that are mentioned, they're a reference back to Exodus, actually. And what they represent is they represent the relationship between God and His people. In in Exodus, uh, there was this tabernacle, right? And the tabernacle represented God's presence with His people. But in order for the people to actually, you know, talk to God, right? To offer sacrifices to God for their sins, to to hear God's direction, they needed an intermediary which were the high priests, right? The high priests were the only ones who were allowed to enter into the tabernacle. And the high priests, they were dressed in a certain way before they entered the tabernacle. They had these breastplates on. And all these breastplates, it had actually four rows of threes, stones. And it was 12 stones in, in this, this rectangular shape placed on their breastplates. So again, 12 precious stones. 
And it says that on these 12 stones in Exodus, on this breastplate, on each of these stones was engraved the name of the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Israel. We see here a similar picture here, right? We have stones covering the walls, but yet there's, we see here the names inscribed, not just 12, but 24 now. And so what we, what we get here is this. The breastplate back then that the high priest wore to enter into, into the tabernacle. What it was doing, on one hand, the breastplate represented the beauty and majesty of God. Right? It was these beautiful stones. And, and so these priests, they need to be holy because God is holy. So they were entering, dressed in a certain way. They cleansed themselves, put on these clothes. These clothes were washed. These clothes were clean. This breastplate represented beauty. And they're entering before the presence of God. On the other hand, because these 12, this breast, these 12 stones on their breastplate had on their inscribed the 12 names of Israel, the 12 sons of Israel, the high priest also represented Israel, the people of Israel as well. So they acted as an intermediary between God and his people. So we see here these precious stones here in New Jerusalem have the same concept. It represents the relationship between God and his people. Except now, we don't need high priests to add as intermediaries. Why? Because in New Jerusalem, God dwells with his people personally. We can actually have direct access to God here. And that's why we see here in verse 22, the next verse. Verse 22, it says here, John saw no temple in the city. Because there's no need for a temple in New Jerusalem. There's no need for a temple because... The temple was only meant to be a just temporary means to symbolize God's presence. Here in this city, we get the real thing. We get God with us. The city of God, where God himself dwelled with his people. Which leads to our next point. God's glory is reflected in his presence. God's glory is reflected in his presence. Verse 22-27, it says, And I saw no temple in the city. Why? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. God's presence here fills this whole city. It fills the whole city. It fills the whole creation. It, it, it shows us here that all people will be con- in constant communion with God. Why? Because... They have their light is shining everywhere. You can't stop light. It's just God's light is just going everywhere. That's why they don't need a sun or the moon. They don't need lamps. I don't know if there's electricity in the New Jerusalem. There probably is, but they don't need it to light up anything. Because God is light. His glory will reach every corner of the world, including people's hearts. No sin, no impurity, no imperfection will be present. What we see here. It's that God's glory is so bright, so pure, so holy, that the whole city is constantly lit up, right? Not lit up like it's, it's high, but lit up because God is in there. 
right? You guys get what I mean. I mean, just imagine this, right? Imagine living in a city, living in a time when there is no sun, no moon, but yet it's bright everywhere, right? Uh, when there's no sun, no moon, it, means, it actually means there's, there's, there's no day, right? Because there's no day and night. You can't count days. Everything is constant. This is the eternal state. This is the eternal kingdom. Uh, maybe time still exists. Maybe not. Not too sure because later on it does tell us that there's months. Not really too sure. But we know we live for eternity here. And, you know, during this, right now, the environmentalists are constantly, you know, looking for, like, clean, sustainable energy. You know what the answer is? The answer is God. God is pure energy. He's pure light. He's clean, sustainable energy. He will light up the world for eternity. No fossil fuels will be burned. Right? That's the answer here. It's not found here on earth. It's found in God. It's interesting to note here in verse 24. It says, By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. It's, it's telling us here that there are other nations and kings outside of the city who will come and bring their worship to God and they will walk by God's light too. These are still saints, but they don't live in the city. It, it tells us that even in new creation, though Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem will be the capital of, new, of the new creation, the major city, there's still other nations and people groups. Meaning there are still there, there are still some kind of national identity or some sociological distinction. Right? So there'll still be somewhat of, you can tell who belongs to what group. But here's the thing. There's no sin. Meaning there's no antagonistic pride, no selfish desire to conquer, to dominate, no patriotism that causes you to think you're above other nations. The whole earth will be living in perfect Harmony here will finally achieve world peace. And we know this to be true because it says here in verse 25 that the gates will never be shut. The gates will never be shut because there's no darkness. Darkness representing evil and sin. There's no darkness at all in this new creation. Why? Because God is light. First John chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And so we see here that this, the sea gates are open. They're open because there's no one to intrude into the sea, no enemies of God. The only people who are there in new creation, the only people who will enter into new Jerusalem, are the saints, are those who are purchased by the blood of Christ. What we see here in this city, I've got it. What we see here in this city is that New Jerusalem is truly what we all long for in our homes. All right, think about your ideal home. Think about what you think about when you think of home. We want our homes to be a place where we feel comforted and secure, a place where we feel safe. A place where we can live and sleep through the night without any fear of a break-in, without fear of our safety, even without fear of emotional distress, right? We're, home is a place where we feel safe. It's why we consider where to live, 
here, right? We don't want to live in dangerous cities. Right? People move to Irvine all the time because they feel it's safe, right? People, people, people want to be in a place where they feel most comfortable with the people around them, with the people within their own homes, where they're not being suspicious of others, where not just where they're. I mean, imagine living in your home where your door is constantly unlocked, your garage door is open, and you just wave at all your neighbors passing by. Homes are meant to be a place where we feel safest, where we can exhale, where we can rest. New Jerusalem is our true home. It's our true home. You see, this world is not meant for us Christians. If you are saved, it says you are a new creation, right? I mentioned that last week. It means you don't belong in this old creation. We will never feel safe here in this world. We will never achieve what we desire to be home in this world. Home is found here in New Jerusalem. This world is not meant for us. This world is corrupted by sin. It's a world of darkness. But New Jerusalem is a place of light. A place where the gates are never shut. A place where tears and pain and fear of death is no more. It's a place where we can dwell with perfect joy and contentment with our God. This is our home, guys. Look at it. Nothing unclean will ever enter, enter into it. This is a place where we can truly f- be at rest. And then we see in chapter 22, verse 1 to 5, God's glory reflected in his life. Chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So here, we see the word month. Is there time in, in New Jerusalem? I don't know. There's month, but yet there's no day. Not sure how it works, but in any case. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything to curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His face, His name will be upon their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of, of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We see here in these last five verses, first, John sees a river. We covered last time that there are no more seas in new creation, but there's this river, this gentle, peaceful river of life. And it flows from the throne of God. Why? Because God is life. God is life. Think about that. God exists because He does. He wasn't born. He wasn't created. He just is. Now that's what God meant when He says, His name is, I am who I am. He is who He is because God is. He is life. Therefore, if God is life, all life then extends from God. Life in this current world, created by God, right? says that God breathed life into man, and man lived. And all life in new creation will extend from God as well. 
the river of life flows right through the middle of the city. And on either side of this river, we see the tree of life. Uh, the tree that we haven't seen since the Garden of Eden. Uh, but this time, it's not just one tree, but we see a whole row of trees on either side of the river. And their fruit yields life. They're constantly producing fruit. And it says here that their leaves were for healing of the nations. The word healing, it's, it means therapeutic. Yeah, there's a therapeutic value to your leaves. It's just like when you eat them, they're like super vitamins, right? That, that promote long life and energy. Right? Just one, one leaf and it gives you everything you need to survive. So we see here life throughout the city because it comes from God. But get this. True life isn't simply just bringing life, right? If we breathe, we're able to think that that's not all it means to be alive, right? If that's, if that's the case, like, you know, we can, we can call anything alive, right? It's not just that. Being alive is not just biology. True life is being alive with true purpose. And that purpose is found in God. To see God and to image Him, right? To be truly human, to be truly alive is to image God, right? We are created in the image of God. And so we image God. How do you image God? Well, you first have to see God. You have to see God in order to mirror Him, right? And really, this has been the cry of the people since the fall. We long to see God again, to be in a relationship with Him, to image God. Remember Moses. What was Moses' one desire from God? see his face but God said no you can't you can't see my face or else you die but I'll show you my backside not God literal backside like you're seeing his butt or something but like <laughs> when we're talking God, God doesn't God doesn't have a physical body right but he's saying that he's gonna just show you a glimpse of his glory a glimpse of his glory alright but why did God not let Moses see him in his full glory why did not god let moses see him face to face in that sense it's because moses like us was a sinner he was unclean like us and we too are unclean we are impure that's why we don't we're not allowed to see god face to face right now because we are of people of unclean lips but yet this is what we long for this is why we pursue purity. Why we pursue to be clean. Why we pursue to be cleansed of sin. So that we can see God. God's sin. Our sin stops us from seeing God. And so what we need to do is we need to clean ourselves. We need to be pure again. Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. How do we see God? By being pure. And the only way to be pure is to be cleansed by the pure blood of Christ. Christ is the one that cleanses us and brings us closer to God. And that's what it means to be growing in our walks of Christ. To be growing more and more pure so that one day we can indeed see God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And we all with unveiled face, so sin removed, we can see God, we're unveiled. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We're changing. We're growing more and more into the same image. What image? The image of God found in Christ. 
from one degree of glory to another. This is what we're all, this is the Christian walk. This is what our faith leads to. It's why we seek to be faithful. We desire to see God again. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. This is, this is what it will be when we see God. It says this, But we know that when He, Christ, appears, we shall be like Him. Why? Because we shall see Him as He is. One day when we're able to be with our Lord and Savior face to face, we will, we will see Him for who He is and we will be like Him. Meaning we'll be fully restored as the image of God because Christ is the perfect image of God. How wonderful is that? We image God by seeing God in His glory. In other words, when we see God's face here, when we see His face we know what it means to truly live. This is, this is what we need to hear. This is what the world needs to hear. Right? When we think about this world, we think about what we all, as humans, we all long for, what we're pursuing. When we think about this broken world, when we think about the pain, the suffering, we think about the war that's going on, we think about the corrupt governments and the famines, the natural disasters, everything that's happening on, the confusion, the chaos that's all around us. We just constantly feel like we're trying to fix this world, but new problems come up. And what do we do, Right? I mean, you yourself personally, not even tackling these big problems of the world, you yourself personally in your own life are trying to fix something, right? You know, in your own classes, in, in your own pursuit of a major, pursuit of work, perhaps you're trying to fix a relationship or you're trying to gain a relationship. Whatever the case is, you're trying to fix something where you feel perhaps empty, where you perhaps feel like, man, I did something wrong or I failed or something's just not right. I need to fix, I need to solve this problem. You're trying to find purpose. You're trying to find identity. You're trying to find joy and happiness. Guys, the answer here for you and for the world is found in the gospel. It is the answer not because it just saves you from hell, because it saves you to a true life. A life that is meant to worship God. A life that is meant to be with God. God promised, He promises blessings, He promises joy, He promises eternal life, but it's not found here in this world. Remember that. That's why He constantly reminds us to keep our eyes focused upon heavenly reward. And that heavenly reward is found in new creation here in Revelation chapter 21. Because in this new creation, God will wipe away every tear. Death and pain will be no more. Here in new creation, God will give you a new identity by writing His name upon your forehead. He will claim you as His own. There in new creation, God will give you comfort and security by His constant, unchanging presence. Gates will remain wide open. There in new creation, God will fill you with the utmost awe and wonder as He gaze upon His holy city and its beauty. There in new creation, God will give you a new purpose as you worship Him with a new song for all eternity. Ultimately, this is what it means to have faith. Again, Christianity, our faith, is not some kind of ideology. 
It's not some kind of mantra we repeat. It's not just some kind of opinion that we have about this world. Faith is not blind. Faith is about setting your hopes, your trust in God alone. It's about seeking Him, desiring Him above all else. And that's what New Jerusalem here represents. It represents the object of our faith. Where we can dwell with God for eternity. It's recognizing that this world and all that it offers cannot satisfy your soul. All it offers you is false promises. And leaves you wanting more. You were created for more. You are created to worship God. And that we can do perfectly here in New Jerusalem, in this new city. To end, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. This Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. It's going through the Old Testament saints and showing how they've been faithful to the end throughout their whole life. And here in verse 13 and 16, the author of Hebrews shows us why they have such faithfulness. Why people like Abraham, like Moses, why, like Isaac, David, why they have such great faith in God. The reason is found here. Hebrews 11 verse 13 to 16 says this. These all, talking about these Old Testament saints, these all died in faith. So they died. They died faithfully. But it says here that they died not having received the things promised. So they died having their faith in God. God promised them land. God promised them blessing. God promised them treasure. And they didn't have any of it when they died. Where was God's promises? Did they truly die faithfully or was this a dead faith? It says this. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were indeed strangers and exiles on this earth. So they recognized their treasure was not only found here on earth, not here on earth. So that's why they were able to die faithfully because they were seeking something beyond this life. Verse 14, For people who speak thus make it clear that they, were, they are seeking a homeland. They are seeking a home. They are seeking a place where they can rest. A place where they can call their own. Verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. So they thought their, their home was America. They thought their home was California, L.A. or NorCal. Wherever you may be from. And you think that's where your home is. They could have gone back. You have an opportunity to go back and just make that home. But no, this is not what they were pursuing. Verse 16, it says, As it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. They knew where their home was. It wasn't going to be found here on earth. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? For He has prepared for them a city. God has prepared for them a city. And we've seen that city. And it is magnificent. And it is glorious. And it is the best place one can ever live in. God is not ashamed. In fact, He is proud to be called their God. And they are proud to be God's people. And they are 
and they look forward to a time when they can dwell in this city that God prepares specifically for them, for us, for you, so that you can be with God forever. Guys, have faith in God's promises. Have faith by keeping your eyes upon God, upon Christ, and all that, all of who He is. And so then the big idea for tonight is this. You have faith by beholding the glory of our God, the majestic King of New Jerusalem, and the Lord of our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your promises are sure. That our faith is not simply a blind faith, but faith is in the hope of something that is indeed real. God, may our eyes be fixated upon you, upon what you have promised for us, upon our heavenly reward found here in new creation, in this new city. Lord, let us long and desire that, God, we are so easily distracted. So easily. Lord, help us, strengthen us, speak to us, and help us walk with you faithfully to the end. God, we are, we are so, so blessed. So blessed to know that Christ has secured our place, our citizenship in heaven, by dying on the cross for our sins and giving us eternal life. Lord, let us continue to savor, savor knowing you, and let us long for the day where we can see you face to face. I pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.